on? Hey, there we go. Got to hit that button. Um, well, let me, let me start out by saying that, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome to be here. And if there's any kids running around the church that have just, just come to church tonight that, that didn't wear shoes, um, it's probably my kids. So, uh, but that's okay. It's kind of like the, you know, it's summertime, right? You, 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 you can come to church during the summer and forget your shoes. You can't, you can't do that at school. You get sent home. So nobody's sending my son home uh, to go get shoes. So um, that's, you know, there's just, you know, there's just a lot going on lately. And you know, I was thinking about our, uh, you know, we have a group in Arizona on the Navajo Indian Reservation. We got our, some of our students and Brian, they're, um, you know, they're in South Dakota and there's, um, there's just, it's just awesome to see all the stuff that God is doing in and through this fellowship. You know, yesterday we had a, a, a great group go up to the Baptist Children's Village and we were able to minister to the people there. And I was, you know, I was thinking through some of the, uh, some of the work that we do and some of the things that we're involved with and, um, you know, especially right on the heels of coming back from Moldova. Moldova is one of the if not the poorest, one of the poorest countries in, in Europe. And I was thinking about, like, so, so what, so, so ministry to the poor, what, is that, what does that look like? And, and so I was, I was thinking through, and I just kind of started thinking through some questions and uh, some questions that, that maybe I can ask you and some answers that maybe you have, and maybe you're right about your answers and maybe you're wrong, but maybe I'll be able to, we'll be able to maybe think through this together and just wrestle with this idea of really ministry to uh, the poor, what that looks like, what that means. You ever ministered to an individual who was in poverty? What did that look like? Was it um, <clears throat> giving somebody a pair of shoes or was it uh, giving someone a sandwich? You know, sometimes ministry to the poor is taking a, taking a box of food or, you know, some kind of commodity or a, a new tent. Um, when you did that, how did you feel? Did you feel good? Did you tell somebody about it? So the thing is, is <clears throat> I think sometimes we need to maybe reconstruct in our minds what certain ministries look like. And maybe we've got the wrong idea of what ministry to the poor is. And um, maybe I have. Maybe you have. So let's, let's maybe look at some of this together. Before we get started, let's... Let's go to God and um, ask him to help us out this evening. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you so much, God, for the gift of um, fellowship. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord God, I pray that in this moment, God, you would, um, <clears throat> Lord, you would speak to us, God. You would take your word, God, and apply it to our hearts. Lord, we love you. God, we need you tonight. God, we need you to um, open up our eyes to see. God, we need you to open up our hearts in our minds, Lord, we turn this time over to you. <clears throat> Lord, we pray, God, that you would um, use it and use it uh, to construct in us something that will be beneficial to your kingdom and bring you glory. God, we love you, and we pray this in your good name. Amen. So first of all, when you, when you talk about the poor, ministry to the poor, uh, the question that I asked earlier is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is have you ever helped the poor? Well, another question that I can ask you is, have you ever hurt the poor? So, and I think most of us pretty quick would retort back, no, there's no way I've hurt the poor. Well, maybe we have in helping the poor. 
See, the reality is, is poverty is very, very real in our country and in our world. Just in our, let, let's take right now our group that's in South Dakota right now, in the, really probably the poorest part of our country, um, the Lakota Sioux Reservation. Um, <clears throat> I've just put some stats together, and, and, and please, this isn't to uh, make you feel terrible tonight, just to, to really just kind of get a snapshot of the reality of, of poverty there on that reservation, 97% of the population at Pine Ridge uh, Indian Reservation live below federal poverty line. Recent reports point out that the median income on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation is approximately 2600 a year. There's no industry, no technology, no commercial infrastructure at all. Nothing to provide employment. As the shortest life expectancy for a community anywhere in the Western Hemisphere outside of Haiti. That's in our country. Teenage suicide rate on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation is 100, 100, <clears throat> 150% higher than the U.S. average. The infant mortality rate is the highest on this continent. It's about 300% higher than the U.S. US national average. School dropout rate is over 70%. Teacher turnover is 800% that of the U.S. national average. Over 33% of the reservation homes lack basic water and sewage system as well as electricity. This is in, a, in the United States. This is where our, some of our students are, where, where our adults and students are ministering right now. And the Navajo reservation is a lot like that as well. 39% of the homes on the Pine Ridge reservation have no electricity. Many of the families in, on the reservation sleep on dirt floors. I mean, alcoholism, it, it affects nearly 8 out of 10 families alone on the reservation. That's in the U.S. That's the poverty-stricken Pine Ridge Indian Reservation where we are currently ministering to the poor, in a sense. <clears throat> Let's go outside the U.S. for a second. Almost half the world, over 3 billion people worldwide, live on less than $2.50 a day. That's not even $1,000 a year. And so some people will, well, well, the cost of living is higher, and the cost of, uh, the standard of living is higher here. Really? I mean, that's, I mean, poverty is cancerous. Poverty is a thieving parasite. It's plaguing. It's it, the, the destitute who are stricken by poverty, they're stuck. <clears throat> 783 million people in the world do not have access to safe water. It's almost like I need some tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. 2.5 billion people in the world do not have access to adequate sanitation. Around 700,000 children die every year. Wow, look at that. Helping the poor. Helping the poor. <clears throat> so around 700,000 children die every year from diarrhea, diarrheal diseases caused by unsafe water and poor sanitation. That's almost 2,000 kids a day. Pneumonia and diarrheal diseases and malaria are the main causes of death during the first five years of life, with malnutrition being the major factor. Almost 19,000 children under five die every day from diseases that are preventable. Children under five represent 90% of all deaths caused by diarrheal diseases. This is stuff that, <clears throat> this is stuff that we can go to Walgreens and get help with. Pneumonia, 
alone is the leading cause of death in children worldwide. Pneumonia. Pneumonia is the, it's, it's estimated that it kills 1.4 million children under the age of five every year. More than AIDS, more than malaria, and t- tuberculosis combined. <clears throat> Pneumonia can be prevented by immunization and antibiotics can help it. 925 people do not have, 925 million people do not have enough to eat. <clears throat> there are more hungry people in the world than the combined population of USA, Canada, and the European Union together. Hungry people. Over 300 million children go to bed hungry every day. Every day, almost 16,000 children die from hunger-related causes. That's one child every five seconds. And that doesn't even take into consideration drought and natural disasters that come, armed conflicts, and other issues like, you know, the, the poverty of this education alone, how poor that is. Poverty is an overwhelming, frightening, and debilitating beast. Aren't you glad you came tonight? <laughs> so, but, but stay with me, because it'll get better, I promise, or worse. Poverty is a reality, but here's the reality of about this whole idea of poverty is that God cares for the poor. God really does care for the poor. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 17 through 18, it says, When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. So God knows that there's thirsty people, right? <clears throat> he says here that he's going <clears throat> to provide a way for them to have water. Psalm 7, uh, 72, 12 through 14 says this, For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. So we see by scripture alone, and there's countless other verses that we could look at, that God does care for the poor. And that's, that's, that's nothing new for you. I mean, uh, we, we can all pretty much go across the board here and, and probably all say, yeah, we know. We know God cares for the poor. But not only does God care for the poor, God wants us to care for the poor. We have a biblical mandate to care for the poor, the destitute, the needy. And very early, this is um, in Deuteronomy 10, this is very early. This is right after Moses got a new set of tablets because uh, God said, you broke those others, let's, let's get a new set here. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 through 19. <clears throat> God says this, um, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Then God says, love the sojourner therefore, For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. What does he say? What is is God saying to his people? He's saying, look, I pulled you out of the ditch. Help those that are still in the ditch. Help the needy. Help the poor. Help the destitute. Bring water to the thirsty. Thanks again, by the way. we, We see that, I mean, it's clear that there's a problem of poverty in our world. And it's clear that, that, that God cares for the poor. 
And it's also clear through Scripture that God has called us to care for the poor as well. In other verses, we see in, uh, later on in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 15, 11, it says this, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. This is, this is before oh, so many things happened uh, through people coming in contact with the nation of Israel. I mean, they were a nobody pretty much right at this point. They're still getting tablets. And God's saying, care for the poor. So you see this mandate very early on that we need to care for the poor, that God's people need to care for the poor. Jesus, in Matthew 25, just fly fast forward to the New Testament. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, this is Jesus. And really what he's talking about here, he's talking about final judgment. This is end time stuff. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him. Um, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on to say, For I was hungry. What did you do? You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you, we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not want to do to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus in the New Testament is... Very clear that God's people are to care for the needy, the poor, the destitute, the, the, the broken, the, the stranger, the prisoner. Not only is God serious about the poor, and God has this mandate for us to care for the poor. God is very serious concerning this mandate for us to carry it through. We have some scathing remarks from our God through his prophets in the Old Testament concerning those who are oppressed, those who are needy. The prophet Isaiah begins his teaching ministry, his preaching ministry, his prophetic ministry. We see in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12. God says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. This is not good. It doesn't start out good here. Give ear, to the te- give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings, of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in bulls, the blood of bulls, of lambs or goats. When you come, when you appear before me, who's required you of this, this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. And I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. What does he say here? Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil 
of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Then he says this. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. He's talking about insincere worship coming before God and, and, and a lack of justice just is, makes God sick at his stomach. So we see God is very, very concerned about the poor, but he's very serious about his people tending to the needs of the poor. can read in Joel and Amos. Look at the prophet Amos said, let justice flow, roll down like waters. God's command to care for the poor includes the administration of justice. What is justice? What is biblical justice? The word justice and we've just read, that appears uh, over 200 times in the Old Testament, that word. And it's what, it, what, is, what that word encapsulates is reflecting the character of God in caring for the vulnerable. So we, we're inward focused people by nature. We have to fight against that. And God says over and over and over in his word, there are people who are destitute that you need to care for. When I was in Africa... It was a, kind of a strange, um, there's a lot of strange things that happened when me and Richie were in Africa. But one of the things that, that I'll never forget, there was this lady that came up to me. And um, just straight face, she walked up to me and we were kind of sorting through some stuff. And she really wasn't a part of what we were doing. She was just kind of passing by. She came up to me and she was kind of close. And, you know, it kind of weirded me out a little bit. I don't know if she was going to attack me or what but she just stopped she looked at me and she said you have everything and then she walked away and so I was like I couldn't say anything I just looked at her and just and then she walked away and so I'll never forget that statement that she made but then it causes me to ask a question to myself do I do I have everything would she say that to you? You have everything. It goes back to where we start asking questions. What is poverty? Who, who really is the poor? Who are the ones who are in poverty? When we were in Dominican Republic last year, we were passing out bags of rice and beans. And that, that's what a typical home you'll find in the the mountain regions in Dominican Republic, we'd pass out rice and bean um, packets to these families that have four or five to seven to eight people that live in a little hut like that. And they all, it's just one room. And they'll, the way they get their water is they'll, they'll catch it in a bucket off the, off the, the roof kind of thing. And uh, a lot of people are sick. That's why I'm pretty excited about us taking a medical crew there. Well, we were passing out bags of rice and beans and we came to this house, a lot like one of these, and there's this guy that lived by himself there. And we came, we had, we said, sir, we, we have some rice and beans for you, but we also want to tell you why we're doing this. And he said, you can stop right there. I know why you're doing this. You're doing this because you know Jesus and you love Jesus, and he's called you to do that. And he said, I want to tell you something. I know Jesus, 
and I love Jesus. And here's what I want you to do with the rice and beans that you're fixing to give me. I want you to go to my neighbor, and I want you to give it all to them. Because they need it more than I do. Then I ask myself again, who's poor? Is that guy poor? Is he living in poverty? He has nothing. He catches his water off his roof too. See, here's the thing. Most Americans define poverty in material terms. We start talking about poverty. We say, well, it's a lack of income. It's a lack of good housing. It's a lack of health care, lack of food and wealth. See, I've, I've ministered at my last church when I was pastor at Fernwood Baptist Church on Pass Road. I had a lot of opportunities to minister to the, to the poor and to the homeless in um, the Gulfport and Biloxi in that area. And I learned a lot. I, I, I met homeless people who were poor who had wads of cash in their pocket. And I saw homeless guys who would stand on the corner with signs, really hungry, please help. And they looked terrible. And they would, he would, he would go and he'd pull out his wad of cash and he'd get a six or a 12 inch sandwich from Subway, a bowl of soup and a giant root beer, sit there, take his time, read the paper, eat the sandwich, get his bag, pack his stuff up and stand back out on the corner and hold his sign back up. Look, after a bowl of soup from Subway and a foot long sandwich and a giant root beer, He's still holding a sign and saying he's hungry. He's not hungry. So what is poverty? Is he poor? Is he living in poverty? See, here's, here's why most Americans view ministry to the poor as just meeting a material need. Because I would watch, I'd watch people over and over as he stood on the corner giving him dollar after dollar, and he'd put it in his little wad. And, and I just kind of like, just, it, it amazed me. The reason that we view ministering to the poor as meeting a material need, that's simple, because we're materialistic people. We think that somebody is destitute and in a poor state because they don't have something material-wise. Because they don't have a, a, a house. See, here's the thing. Like, when, when you think about people living in real, in real poverty, the poor define poverty different than we do. Americans, people, Westerners define poverty as a lack of a material thing. But nine out of ten people living in serious poverty poverty conditions if they describe poverty they rarely even mention a material thing there's a collection of books called voices of the poor it's a study and it asks the experts of poverty people living in poverty in 60 impoverished countries low income countries they ask them the question what is poverty obviously 60,000 people have a lot of answers. Listen to some of them. When one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. 
She has no food because there is famine in her house. Doesn't say anything about being able to go out and afford something. She has no clothing, and there's no progress for her family. Your hunger is never satisfied. This is somebody from Senegal. Your thirst is never quenched. You can never sleep until you are no longer tired. That's how that person described poverty. In Vietnam, someone said, if you are hungry, you will always be hungry. If you are poor, you will always be poor. In Ecuador, someone said, what determines poverty or well-being? See, now this person is equating poverty with just well-being. Not having something material. I said the indigenous people's destiny is to be poor. <clears throat> For a per poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of from Moldova. I think if you do a, a serious study on poverty, you will see that poverty is not a lack of something material. It's more than that. But before you can really kind of examine poverty, I think a good question to ask, and I'm, I'm pretty sure maybe none of you have asked this question before. I have because I've wrestled too much with this issue of poverty. When did poverty begin? When did it start? Where, where were the first poor people? Where did they come from? When did poverty start? <clears throat> I think to, to really be honest and look at that question, I think we can go all the way back to the beginning and see that God, from the beginning, is a relational God. God existed in the... In, Eternity past in the perfect relationship of the Trinity. He's a relational God and he created man, a relational being, to thrive in relationships. One of the things that you find when you start looking at poverty and the poor, one of the things that you see that the poor describe poverty, they, they'll, nine times out of ten they'll talk about it, there, there's some kind of broken relationship there. So when did the relationship break? See, we, we, we live in a relationship with God. But it broke, didn't it? Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. And this is the fall. Some of you are thinking ahead of me already. That's good. Paying attention. That's good. Genesis chapter 3. In verse 8 it says, This is after um, Satan came to Eve and tempted her and she gave in. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. <clears throat> and the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? See, God's asking questions that he already knows the answers to. The man said, the woman 
whom you gave me to be with. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Skip down to verse 16. God rebukes the serpent, but now in verse 16, God says to the woman, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now that verse is something that we've looked at in our American culture, and we've uh, maybe made a joke about it, where we say, yeah, your desire is going to be for your husband, and he shall rule over you kind of thing. But when you talk to a poor person, who's living in extreme poverty, I guarantee you, if they read that verse, they will just cringe. Because most cases, their husband really does rule over them in a way that we don't even want to talk about. And the pain in childbearing is something that mothers all over the world right now in the developing world They're crying because those millions of under five deaths we talked about, that's their babies. And God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The person living in in the, the developing world in poverty they would agree that the ground is cursed. And they would agree that in pain they're going to eat. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. See here's, here's what happened in the fall. That really started poverty. This is where poverty started right here. Poverty began right here in Genesis chapter 3. And there's four basic relationships that we see that break in this text right here. The first text, the first relationship that is broken is the relationship with God. You see in the text, God's like, where are you? That's a broken relationship right there. If God has to say, where are you? That relationship is, it's severed. It's hurt. It's afflicted. It's bleeding. The relationship with self. What did Adam say? He said, said, I was afraid. I hid myself. He starts explaining for the first time in Scripture what shame really is. Not just a low self-esteem, but this is full-out shame right here. Another relationship that was broken. So the first relationship was a relationship with God was broken. Relationship with self. Relationship with others. Let me say, the woman, she did it. So right away you see this broken community. That God is a, a, a relational God. And he has man. He wants man to exist in healthy relationship. Well, that, that relationship is broken. That community is broken. And then relationship with creation. The rest of creation, in pain, childbearing, thorns and thistles, they're going to climb up out of your corn stalks. 
So we see these broken relationships. If the poor talk about poverty in the confines of relationship, poverty began when the relationships broke. So who are the poor? The poor are the people who still exist in these broken relationships. So that we see the relationship with God, the poverty of spiritual intimacy. Denying God's existence. That's, that's materialism. Or just worshiping a false god. Worshiping spirits. That's the lady in another country who believes that if she throws her baby in the river, her husband's going to get well. Because that's what the local witch doctor told her. That's a poverty of spiritual intimacy because she does not know the one true God. That's the A-list movie star that makes gobs and gobs and gobs of money that practices Scientology. That's poverty. That's spiritual poverty right there from a broken relationship with God. That's the Christian that knows what God is telling them to do and yet still disobeys. That's poverty. That's a broken relationship, an intimate relationship with God. A spiritual poverty. The relationship with self. We call that poverty of being. Shame, low self-esteem, but that's also like God complexes. That's the guy who stands up and says, I'm a self-made man. Everything that I got, I, I worked my fingers to the bone and I did it myself. That's a poverty of being. They're impoverished. Why? Because they're not giving God credit. They think they have the credit. And they didn't do it. It was from God. That's the lady rushing off to help because if she doesn't help, no one will. That's the churchgoer who says, I doubt that God will ever use me. If you think like that, if you say things like that, that's just poverty. You're living in poverty of being, poverty of self. And so when you start looking at the poor all over the world, you see that they are in poverty of self because they think they're stuck. We have no way out. There's nobody will listen to us. We're inferior. We have no voice. Poverty of community. That's just maybe the exploitation or abuse of others. Self-centeredness. The high-maintenance person who doesn't have time for children. That's the young man who steals his grandmother's cash to buy drugs. He's living in poverty, poverty of community. That's the uneducated mom who says, if I have another kid, I'll get more money. That's the pew potato. You know what that is, don't you? A pew potato? You know what a couch potato is, right? Somebody sits on the couch all day and watches TV? What's a pew potato? I'm looking at a bunch of pews, right? That's the pew potato who never serves in a ministry or they never connect because they're in poverty. They're in poverty of community. That's the leader in ministry that never tithes. <laughs> I've had multiple conversations with people in different ministry roles in other churches and I'm just blown away that we don't, oh, we don't tithe. I'm like, huh? 
That's a poverty of community. What about the relationship of rest of creation? That's a poverty of stewardship. The ground is cursed. You know who that is? That's, that's lazy people and that's workaholics. If you are a workaholic and you work yourself till you pass out every day, and you think that that's, that's how you should thrive, honestly, you're living in poverty. If you're lazy, you sit around and don't do anything, that's poverty as well. That's the farmer who never understands why, his bugs keep, why bugs keep eating the crops. Yet he keeps replanting year after year and never tries to figure out why it doesn't yield a crop. That's the family in Moldova that works sun up and sun down in the fields, yet they never see any of the fruit of their labor. They're in poverty. That's the overworked businessman who rarely sees his family because of his work. That's the community that's in the slums that they, they drink out of the same river that, they also, that also functions as the community sewer. Here's what I was thinking about this morning when I was thinking about some of this stuff while Tony was preaching about Naaman. I was thinking about Naaman, I'm like, and, I, and I started thinking about these poverty issues. I'm like, Naaman is a guy in poverty. He lives in poverty. He's got tons of stuff, but he's in poverty. So, poverty began in the fall. Poverty began when relationships broke. Bryant Myers wrote a book called Walking with the Poor. He says, poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all meanings. What is shalom? Shalom is peace. Shalom is... And everything. Peace with God, peace with self, peace with others, peace with the rest of creation. If you feel like you're not at peace with God, you're not at peace with self, you're not at peace with others, you're not at peace with the rest of the world around you, you know what? You're living in poverty. So let's talk again about the reality of poverty. Let's ask ourselves the question who are the poor? We are. We're the poor. We suffer from poverty. Spiritual intimacy, poverty of being, poverty of community, poverty of stewardship. What does that do for us when we say we're going to minister to the poor? That ought to change some things. For one, it ought to remind us that we should embrace our mutual brokenship, okay? So we're all broken together. The brokenness that exists in your poverty is the same as the guy standing there holding his sign. And so when we get our God complex up and we say, well, I'm going to go help him out, give him some money. And he says, thanks so much, puts it in his wad of cash and goes over and gets a humongous sandwich, stands back out. Did you help him or did you hurt him? See, if you really study poverty and really study ministering to the poor, what you'll conclude is that really the only way to effectively minister to someone living in poverty is relationship. Relationships was the problem to begin with with poverty. So to effectively minister to someone living in poverty, you've got to spend a little bit more 
And you've got to invest in a relationship. And that will cost you more. Not necessarily out of your pocket, but it's going to cost you. Because you have to build a relationship. You have to see that, you know what, at some level I'm poor. And at some level I'd be totally spiritually broken if God didn't come to me. And if he didn't save me. Paul was his name. Stood on the corner with the sign. And he actually wanted to join our church. I liked Paul. I had conversation after conversation after conversation with Paul. We helped out Paul. We got him a, a new tent one time. We got him a nice military cot that he could take to his tent. We got him some, some clothes, some sleeping bags, some stuff like that, a new jacket when it got cold. And, and he, he liked me. He like, hey, Pastor Rod, how you doing? I would say that Paul was my friend. We, our church basically established, you know, well, if you're really going to continually receive help from our church, then we're going to kind of set aside like more help for the members of the church. So I guess Paul got wind of that, and he came to me one day, and he said, Pastor, I want to join your church. I want to be a member. Amen. And I said, why? I said, Paul, I'd love for you to be a member of our church. And he would come. I mean, he would be there on Sunday nights, Sunday mornings, and a lot of people would kind of like step aside because, well, I mean, Paul lived in a tent. He didn't bathe much. I said, Paul, why do you want to join our church? He said, well, I just, I like you and I like it here too. I said, let me tell you something, Paul, I like you too. I consider you my friend. But here's what I'm going to commit to you as your friend. And if you join this church as your pastor, I'm going to commit to you this. That I, I'm going to love you and I'm going to help you. But I'm not just going to give you stuff that you need. I'm going to see to it with everything that I got that you're going to get off the street, out of your tent, you're going to get a job. You're going to clean up. And that's what we're going to do. That was the last conversation I had with Paul. He never showed up again. There's a couple other guys that would come around. And I had several homeless guys that would come in. And I liked them. They were buddies of mine. One of them's name was Ladon. Ladon Sr. lived in a tent with Ladon Jr., his son. And Ladon Jr. and Ladon Sr. had another buddy named Glenn. I'm not sure where Glenn came from, but they would all come together. Ladon Sr. was broken. He had so much shame put on him that he thought he was completely stuck. And he would come all the time and he would be just so tuned in to everything that I would say. Well, eventually God started working in Ladon's heart. God started giving him a little bit more confidence about himself. Now, Ladon still is living in a tent, and I'd say, Ladon, I'm going to come see you. He's like, no, pastor, you can't because you'd be trespassing. Can't come see me. But he would, you could tell Ladon wanted something more for his life. You could tell that he wanted to be in a different place than he was. You could really tell that he understood that he was spiritually broken, and he wanted to, to, to be able to lift up his head a little bit more. Why, why was he in that place? Because of shame. Because he was in poverty of self as well. Well, the time came for me to come here. And, you know, my homeless buddies, that they, you know, they can't call them. So I was like, you know, a couple of years passed. And you know, I'd occasionally think, well, I wonder where Paul is. I wonder if he's still alive. Or I wonder where old Danny is and Glenn and some of these other guys. And um, <clears throat> I was in the... Uh, courthouse one day I had to go 
run an errand over there. I'm not sure. I can't remember what it was, but I was walking down the steps. You know, you have to beep through the thing. You got to put your stuff in, and you go through, and you, whatever you're doing there, that's what you do, and you got to come back down the steps. Well, I was coming back down the steps, and it's probably a, a year and a half that we've been gone from uh, Fernwood as pastor, and so I was walking down the steps, and there was two guys coming up. One was a younger kind of Latino guy, one was a, um, an older black man, and so um, as soon as they turned, like the, the man, he kind of stumbled and fell a little bit, I'm like, oh, and so I picked him up, and when I picked him up, it was Ladon, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing, and it's like, like all of a sudden, like I just, somebody just gave him like the greatest gift in the world, and it was just him seeing me face to face for the, and it's been a year and a half or so since he's seen me. I said, LaDon, what's going on with you? He's like, oh, pastor, it's so good to see you. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing here at the courthouse? I mean, or, I, mean, I mean, there's lots of reasons he could be there, right? He said, well, God's been blessing. I said, yeah, how's that? Well, I started a business. Now, you got to understand, like, if you've ministered enough to homeless and poor, like, they can kind of fabricate some stories. So I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's good to hear. He's like, no, really. He, it's Ladon and Sons. It's a landscaping business, and God's been blessing. This is one of my workers. I'm coming up here to help him out with something. And they both had on T-shirts that said Ladon and Sons. I'm like, are you kidding me? He said, yep. I got 12 employees, Pastor. And I'm living in a house now. And my son's not working for me. He's got his own place. And he's living in an apartment in Bloxy. What happened is God was able to pull Ladon and his son out of poverty. Poverty of being. Poverty of self. Poverty, spiritual poverty. And, he would, and, and that day, I mean, it meant so much to me to talk to Ladon that day. Because, you know, Paul, man, there's no telling where Paul was. Paul was out rolling up his cash still and getting in fights, whatever. So we see poverty is way more than just some kind of material thing. And ministry to the poor has to be more than just material things. Now, let me caution you. Don't leave here tonight and say the next time you stop at the intersection and you see somebody holding the sign. That doesn't mean that you have the right to say, well, if I'm not going to build a relationship with them, I'm not going to help them out. That's, that's, that's not your, your decision to make at that point. Because, and we don't have time to go into this, but poverty alleviation ministry or to, to help the poor, it really exists in three different phases. And that's, um, the, the first one is to uh, re give relief and then after relief is rehab, rehabilitation, and then it's development. And that happens on a larger scale with larger nonprofit ministries and corporations and communities, stuff like that. So maybe that person that you see this week, and I'm going to pray that you, you run into somebody that you can minister to, that you can build a relationship with. Maybe that person, maybe you do need to provide them some type of relief. Maybe they, maybe they are in a really destitute spot that you can help them out. See, Jesus modeled this for us. When the relationships broke in Genesis 3, God already knew the plan to reconcile the broken relationships. That his son would come 
and be poor. That his son would be poor spiritually. Or the father would turn his face from him when he was on the cross. That he would be poor in the other ways as well. Why? So we could have that relationship fixed for us. So we could be reconciled back to God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's good. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation ministry? There's a broken relationships everywhere you go. Everywhere you turn in your life are broken relationships. People in poverty. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. We've been reconciled through that first and fundamental relationship. And we've been pulled out of the poverty of our spirituality. And through that, overflowing into that, I pray and I hope that all of us in here, we're not living in poverty of self, poverty of community, poverty of stewardship. But maybe you are tonight living in poverty. How do you know if you're living in poverty? One of the um, translators and amazing people that I've so glad I got to know in Moldova, her name is Constanza. That's how a Mississippi boy says it. Over there they say Constanza. Constanza has nothing, material-wise. She also has a mother who she's trying to, to provide for as well because her mom can't work. Well, there's no governmental help systems in Moldova. You don't have really good insurance. You open Constanza's refrigerator and you open it up, there's nothing in there. One night, our team was meeting and it was her turn to do the, uh, the, the devotion, the Bible study. And she was talking, and it's, she's got this soft-spoken, sweet voice. And she said, I'm so glad God got me to the point to where, and I do believe this with all of my heart, Jesus is enough for me. She said, if all I have is Christ, and I have all that I need. And I sat there listening to her, and I thought, she's got it. She didn't have anything else but Jesus. And here we are, running around, thinking we're not in poverty. Many of us, I think many of us in this room, at some level, probably are living in poverty. So I pray that God would examine your heart, that you would let him 
and you would be honest with him. And maybe you'd get to the point to where the once impoverished Hannah in her prayer in 1 Samuel 2, which is exactly the same as in Psalm 113.7 in the first part of verse 8. She said, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. The poor and the needy, may they be reconciled back to God. The ones who are far from God, the ones who are impoverished, may they see that if they have Christ, they have more than enough. Are you living in poverty today? I think maybe before tonight, if I asked you if you were poor, you'd probably say, oh, no, I'm not poor. But maybe tonight, some of you think now, well, maybe I am poor. Well, God is doing in this moment, in this place, and all throughout the halls of this church and everywhere we, we turn around here, God is doing the ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciling things back to himself. So maybe tonight you just need to come to the altar and just accept this reconciliation. God's making it right. And maybe you've been impoverished too long. Just come before God and say, you know what, Lord? I realize I've been living in poverty at some level. Help me. I'm needy. I'm broken. Help me. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to pray for the Sioux. Because believe me, there are a lot of people living in poverty up there in South Dakota. We're going to pray for the Navajo. We have family, we have church family, we have, they're there now, face-to-face ministering the ministry of reconciliation. We should pray that God would do a great work in and through our teams there. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, turn our attention to interceding on behalf of the poor. So let's stand together.